Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Heroes, this week we're talking about zines and how the underground, handmade format affects role-playing games. Aaron King shares their experience as an avid zine enthusiast and participant in Kickstarter's Zine Quest, which is a month-long celebration of all kinds of RPG zines. RPG zines can hold all kinds of treasures, from full games to character exercises or adventure supplements or maybe an atlas of fascinating islands. Their small, easy-to-print format helps us engage with them in a different way than we might a several-hundred-page hardback rulebook, so I will let Aaron explain more about this scene. Let's get to the show. Hey there, heroes. I am joined this week by Aaron King, and we are going to talk about game zines and all of the stuff surrounding game zines. Uh, so, hi, Aaron. Hello. Hi, I'm so glad you're here. I don't know anything about game zines, so this is going to be exciting. I bet you do. <laughs> I might. I might know a couple things. We'll see. <laughs> is that weird to say? Is there I, I don't think it's weird. It might be it might be fair. I think it's fair to say. I probably know a few more things than I think I do, but uh we're going to find out. Luckily there was not a, a quiz or anything I had to do to to start this episode. No so quiz. That's good. Good. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Some projects that you've worked on or places people might know you from? Sure. I am at Aaron MF King on Twitter. I do some freelance game writing. I have an article coming out in Rolled and Told. I've worked on the Gauntlets Codex. Oh, man. And oh, I have art coming out in 13 Demon Princes with you. Hey, We're yeah, that's exciting. Co-artists. Yay. Everybody go look at 13 Demon Princes. Oh, it's I'm great. excited. And not just because we're in it. <laughs> it's great because Taylor's I, I'm excited, great. too. Yes, Taylor is fantastic. And this is going to be a cool, cool game and a beautiful book. Yes. Uh, <laughs> awesome. That's so many things and places and good, good things. Thank you. Oh, and I have a Kickstarter going, which we'll probably talk about. Uh, yeah, probably. Okay. I, get, I guess we could go to No, <laughs> yeah, we're going to yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. Cool. Awesome. So we, we got talking because you reached out to talk about zines, specifically like game zines. Yes. Uh, so so what? is a zine um zine is short for well magazine or fanzine depending on who you talk to but most often they're small booklets that were printed by a single person or you know just at a laser printer or something like that and maybe hand stapled or hand bound somehow and with a pretty small distribution okay are are there um are there characteristics or requirements for something to be a zine I think it's a very folk artsy movement. I mean, I think it came out of people wanting to circumvent traditional publishing methods. So mm -hmm. I, th I think the characteristic is sort of like a book, but doesn't look like a book. There's a lot of anti-art <laughs> yeah. anti and kind of, I mean, it draws a lot of stuff yeah. from like Dadaism and places, movements that have tried to reject art and reject whatever overarching uh, values there might be. Um, so whenever there's a big movement, there's always a kind of zine underground movement with or against it as well. Always maybe a sweeping term <laughs> regularly. I think a lot of zinesters try to escape any kind of uh, taxonomy or categorization because I think that's a lot of times part of what they are publishing against or trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they're very ugly on purpose. Ah, okay. 
Uh, but sometimes not, especially now that we all have InDesign or something yeah. like it. Um, it's very easy to lay something out pretty clearly. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I think um, I wish I knew that like the subject matter of the zines that I had been introduced to like in high school. I know I had friends who were into probably very feminist leaning yeah. zines and they like we, we had the Internet like this wasn't pre Internet high school, but it was still very like early technology stuff. So like paper zines getting passed around and like whispered about was definitely a thing. And they were they were not always the most attractive thing. And that was kind of terrifying and interesting at the same time, which is a wild combo. Yeah, it's absolutely part of the appeal. I remember I got my first zine for I was a freshman in high school mm -hmm. in 1998. And this senior who was mm -hmm. in a punk band gave me a zine that was just a list of other punk bands and reviews oh of their CDs, well, tapes, probably, and just kind of like a bunch of people who had written in saying, here was this great band I saw, they're from Chicago or whatever, keep an eye out for them, because, yeah, unreliable internet at that point, and it yeah. was just a way to say, I saw this, this affected me, I hope it can affect you as well. That's so cool. Yeah, shout out to Matt Semke, the cool high school senior who took me under his wing <laughs> and changed your life forever really i think so yeah <laughs> that's amazing i i wonder if that kind of it, it, like interaction still happens or can still happen i hope so mm -hmm. i i think part of the appeal i think about this a lot or i try to like the appeal of having a paper copy versus a digital copy is that you can just leave the paper copy somewhere or someone will yeah. take it and use it and then pass it on. Um, and I love digital and I think it's amazing and it's opened up the field to so many people. Mm -hmm. And it does certain things very well. And I think paper also does certain things very well, like getting shoved in a little free library or left at a coffee shop or something. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. Yeah, because those, those, those little free libraries have been quite a thing lately, too. They're popping up all over in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's great. Very cool. So from that point on, were you kind of always interested in zines or is it something that you, you came back to? Because I know uh, when we were talking, you've you've done a lot of work with and around zines and organizing zine cons. I think I, I like things that look finished a lot of the time. And I mm -hmm. think there are times when I've bounced off of zines. And it's been the same with music, too, where this band just sounds too unfinished or the recording isn't good enough. Uh, but then you listen to it over and over and it just becomes something you can obsess over. And it's the same with zines where I'll read something and it'll sit in the back of my mind and I won't actively be interested in it. And then all of a sudden realize years later, like, that was the thing. That was the thing I wanted. I want this quick and easy way to disseminate information. And I already had it. I just forgot about it. Yeah. And the same is true with role-playing games for me. Like, I have had moments in my life of deep, deep obsession and then years will go by and I'll think, I'm so over games. Why did I ever spend yeah. that money or time on them? <laughs> and then years later, uh -huh. I'm like, oh, I'm 30 now and I want to hang out with my friends in a regular way, a scheduled way. With so and I always want to have something to do so no one feels awkward. If only there was a hobby or something we could do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a role-playing game and we can do this. And so I think those kind of waves of interest are pretty normal, at least for me. Yeah, I, I think that is pretty normal. Um, when when did you notice that those two in particular had overlapped into like game zines? I think it was I 
started running D&D in a really active way just over four years ago. And I was volunteering in an all-volunteer bookstore, kind of a, a radical bookstore, I guess. Maybe not an anarchist bookstore, but a left-leaning all-volunteer bookstore. <laughs> and they have a huge zine section. And there were people here in Minneapolis that were trying to restart the Twin Cities Zine Fest after a few years of it kind of drifting away and being held at different places or not being held at all. And that first, so I'd been playing D&D for a while, and that first zine fest, Nathan D. Pauletta, who is a role-playing game writer and zinester, attended. I don't know where he's from, not from Minnesota, but he came, he, I think he's most well-known for world wrestling role-playing game. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, he also wrote some cool Swords Without Masters hack about, like, mummies and pyramids. Uh, anyway, he showed up, and I remember someone coming to my table who uh, was a player of mine and saying, someone's over there with role-playing game zines. And it was so excited, and I was, oh. yes, I was, of course, just nervous and just went and looked and like bought a thing and didn't talk to him at all, because that's who I am, I guess. But yeah. um, <laughs> that was fair. Yeah. <laughs> Since then, I have been actively trying to put game stuff into zines. And failing a lot and having, you know, to completely restart and having my computer die and lose all my progress and stuff like that. But oh. it's all right. It's a zine because it's, I mean, they're all so small that even yeah. even a catastrophic failure doesn't feel like a huge Photoshop mm. image. It just feels like, well, this a, it's a free way to edit. Like, I get to do it again <laughs> and this time I'll do it better. It, yes, exactly. Like that's it's a hard thing to remember in the moment when you've immediately after you've lost a project, but the second time around it always is better. And it's faster. Mhm. Mm and isn't the agony like is that somehow part of the zine process? I feel like It is. I remember <laughs> there are a lot of really good books out there about how to make a zine, and all that info is also on the internet. Uh Rookie has a great article about it, but I have this vivid memory of reading a book about making a zine. And there's they got to the chapter that said like time to print, and I think the it was a bullet list of like have your materials ready, find a printer, make sure you bring a six pack of beer because this will take all night and you'll fail multiple times. And oh, no. even if you don't drink, I think that kind of advice of just like be prepared to screw this up, to get a piece of paper stuck in the printer, to print out twenty mm -hmm. copies, then realize one of the pages is upside down. Um, mm -hmm. But the scale is so small that failing doesn't feel as bad. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. In in a in a zine about games or a game zine, is it a whole game? Is it a zine about games? Is it supplements for a game? Is it all of those things? Like what is it? Yeah, hopefully all of the above. I mean, there's always been a tradition of one page RPGs mm -hmm. and one page dungeons. And I think those are very zineable. And then you see stuff like the recent like sad mech jam yeah um and other game jams like that and i think those if you were to transfer them to print would be very good zines there are zines of kind of play reports and essays drawn from gaming mm, okay uh yeah supplements adventures art there are a lot of art zines out there that's um kind of fantasy and game inspired art so hopefully all of the above the sky is the limit very cool where where do these things exist? Where can we find them? Or is it is that part of the serendipity of finding them left behind in a free library or a coffee house? Or there's a lot of serendipity to it, but I think uh, I mean most 
cities have zine fests. Most big cities like Minneapolis mm -hmm. has one. Kansas City, Omaha, Chicago, if you're in the Midwest, um, you know, I think look out for those. Uh, and right now on Kickstarter, they are doing Zine Quest, which is a whole month yeah. of promoting role-playing game zines with a pretty strict printing limitation. They say mm. uh, single single color printing. They have to be stapled or hand bound, like they can't have a spine or be perfect bound. I'm surprised that they went so strict, but yeah. it's making people find cool workarounds for these limitations. Oh, yeah. I, I love like art within limitations can be very, very cool. Yes. Is yeah. So this the zine quest that Kickstarter is doing, I, I, I did take a look at, at the limitations that they put on things and the rules that they have. But is is the the project itself like a arguably big entity like Kickstarter getting in and saying, we're going to make some zines like is that is that cool? I don't know. There's always a bad taste in my mouth. Absolutely. Um, there's a, I think it was the Alternative Press Expo in San Francisco was recently sponsored by some organization that was somehow associated with CreateSpace or Amazon, and there was a huge kerfuffle over that. Mm. So, I mean, it sucks, but also that's the tool I have. Like, I'm going to sell out, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, right. And it's been really good. I mean, I think... The people involved have all been so helpful, and people are finding each other on Twitter and promoting each other. Mm. Um, I'm using some of the money I'm getting to pay other artists and writers to contribute, and other people are doing the same. So even though that is, the, I mean, the joke in zines and in mini comics and stuff is that when you go to a convention, it's just the same five dollars that's being passed around. Yeah. <laughs> someone comes in and buys a comic, and then the person that got that money takes that five and buys something from someone else. <laughs> and I think. There is an aspect to that, and it's a bummer that Kickstarter is taking their cut, but also I'm meeting a lot of people that I wouldn't have met otherwise, and the money is going to people here that are younger artists or people who haven't necessarily had a chance to get published before, so hopefully it's a net gain. Yeah. So you, all these creators have found each other and are promoting each other. Is Kickstarter doing anything to promote the, all of you? Yeah, there is a kind of internal branding um, that they're using, and it's like easily browsable. I think. Okay, so that's that's a plus then. Yeah, and there was a worry that like, well, everyone's going to be making a project, so no one's going to get eyes on them. But a lot of the goals are so low and so modest because the printing is so cheap, and the constraints are mm -hmm. there to make it easier to finish. Everyone's getting funded really quickly. It looks like. Oh, awesome! And. Yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah. And a community building thing that is separate from Kickstarter and will continue hopefully even once this is done. Ooh, yeah, that's a very good point. Like you'll you'll still have those connections and and support system outside of this month-long project. Very cool. Yeah, one of the people his publishing house is called World Champ Game Company, I think. But he's like, oh, I'm in a band and I'll probably tour your city, you know, to the group of people like, yeah. if I'm over there, let me know and we'll hang out. Oh. <laughs> and that feels, it feels really nice. And it feels like yeah. part of what zines would hopefully be about. Yeah. That, yeah, that feels very much like <laughs> everyone is in a band. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. So why don't, why don't we talk about the one, the zine that you've got up on, on the zine quest? Cool. This is actually, I meant to tell you this beforehand. Mm -hmm. I didn't. So it's a surprise. Mm -hmm. But. So the zines are called The Patrick World, mm -hmm. and it's a bunch of supplements and scenarios for fantasy roleplay. It's 
typically 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, but totally usable in Dungeon World or anything else. Nice. Um, but the content was inspired very directly by Modifier Episode 3. Was that the Mass Effect one? Yes. I was in a Star Wars game with my friends, and they are like, oh, we want to take a break. And I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i run a game so the person running it can have a break. And uh, But I don't want to do Star Wars because I don't want it to be compared. Yeah. And so I started working on a kind of a fantasy hack of it after listening to the Mass Effect episode. Oh, yay! And, yeah, and that, like, we played a few times, and I was like, oh, I like some of this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I changed it to a kind of Powered by the Apocalypse thing yeah. that I was not happy with. And then some friends of mine wanted to learn D&D. And so I took all that material and just put it into these D&D games. But it's, you know, you can look back to my document that I made probably the night after I listened to that episode. Oh, that's Because so the good. person was like, I lay it out in word. It doesn't even matter. I'm just going to do it. And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, I am also going to just do it. But a lot of that material, especially the kind of setting stuff, is directly ported. I mean, shifted through all these different versions, yeah. but directly descended from that fateful night. That is so cool. So thank you. And I don't remember the guest's name, and I feel very bad for that. I meant to look it up. Oh, yeah. Um, but... His name is Richard, or Chard. Cool. Um, And I, I don't know if I... I, I get some emails and, and tweets every once in a while about that episode in particular, which is very cool. I'm so glad that it like really s- struck a chord with people. And I know that he finally released the PDF he'd been working on uh, a little while ago. I think I tweeted about it once, but didn't make a, enough noise about it. So I have to like go back and, and re- reply to people's individual emails and be like, it's out. It's, it exists. You can go look at it. I'll find it too. I'll yeah. tweet it. Yeah, there you go. I'll we'll put it in the show notes, I'm I, sure. Yes, I'll, I'll remember to do that this time. <laughs> because yeah, it, it is. It's so, it's like, it's a thing that I think we, we think about like, oh yeah, I could just use Word. I could just use whatever tools are at my disposal. But until somebody else comes and says, this is how I did it. This is the way that I made it happen or or Kickstarter says, here are the limitations on the project that you can do. Like, I, I feel like a lot of us are very nervous to do it because it feels wrong or like not the right way. Or you will have to fail so many times mm-hmm. before we get there. And that's just too much effort. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's very daunting. But but yeah, to, it is. to know that to know that it's working, like people people live this way. It's fine. You can do this. <laughs> <laughs> we're slobs and we're falling apart, but we're fine, and yeah. you can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so thank you for that, yeah. for the direct inspiration. Well, well, thank and you. And thank you, Richard. Yeah, and thank you for reinforcing that we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> it can happen. Nice. Oh, so, so the project mm-hmm. was that the question? Yeah. Let's let's um, talk about what what it is you've got. You've it's it's multiple zines, right? It's eleven zines. Dang. Okay. Which is, t- take that Kickstarter, right. I'll make them little, but I'll make a bunch of them. <laughs> and for this project, for this special project only, I'm putting them in a little box. Um, so the setting is, do people like hearing about role-playing game settings? I'm never sure. Yes, I do. All right. This is my show. I can do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'll take a shot at it. Uh, the setting is that all these worlds... From typical fantasy worlds to not-so-typical kind of all ended at once and were exploding and flying apart. And someone kind of grabbed the bits that she could and pulled them together. And so you end up with this single world with all these patchwork pieces where, you know, a desert might be right next to a strange forest, might be right next to this piece of heaven, Mm. might have been shoved against a piece of hell, which 
was just originally for convenience on my part, mm -hmm. um, so that I could jump from one style of play to another. And if people weren't having fun, they could, you know, just across the hill, there's something totally different. Oh. And so I made a, a hex generator, like a, an Excel spreadsheet that would automatically generate what this next piece of land would be and who might live there and what might be hidden somewhere. And I'm converting that into a dice drop map. Is that what they're called? Sure. Where So it's the, in, it's the inside of the box. Mm -hmm. There's two sides. Mm -hmm. And you drop dice in each one. And the number that comes up means something, but where the dice lands, that also means something. And they're D4, so they have those three points. Ooh. And where those points are pointing to around the edge also will generate something. Oh, man. Um, so that's kind of the step up. And so it's a hopefully a quick, easy way to make a setting on the fly. I like the that. End. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. That's like the most daunting part. And I'm still working on it and still testing it, but it's really fun. That's so important. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's good that it's, that it's fun. So what what um what do these 11 zines cover then? They cover scenarios, adventures. Um I run a lot of D&D &D for first-time players. That's how I met Taylor actually. One of my co-volunteers at that bookstore mm. had a bunch of friends who wanted to learn D&D &D but didn't want to go to a game store. And yep. so we started running these these regular nights where People could, could come and meet each other and learn how to make a character, and then they would reach out to whoever they made friends with and say, like, we want to play on this day, and there were a couple of us that were willing to run games, and so um, it was kind of a player-driven social thing, and we would just run two or three sessions and say, like, that's it. Do you want to keep playing? Do you want to learn to run a game? Um, do you want to find new people to play with? And so... This content um, is meant for people that are teaching others to play or maybe learning to play for the first time. So there are a bunch of short scenarios mm. with information for first-time Dungeon Masters. Like, mm -hmm. here's a spot for you to include something that you come up with. Like, making explicit space for that. And then a lot of situations that aren't necessarily high stakes or extremely violent. Like, a lot of social interactions or kind of faction games where you're trying to figure out the truth by talking to all these different people mm -hmm. and lots of prompts for a dm to give a first-time player of like this person's serving you all dinner tonight and has a magic thing that can give you your favorite food what's your character's favorite food and just kind of these very explicit steps to have people that aren't used to maybe talking in first person or yeah. thinking about what a character would do to maybe take baby steps toward that so there's a lot of that in there uh there are kind of system and adventure generators, like I mentioned. One of the zines is just 20 islands. And Ooh. so the idea is, like, it could be an island generator if you're out lost at sea, or it could be, here are these islands, and you're playing amongst them. And then there's some mini-games. There's one about which characters hook up at the end of a campaign, or maybe hooked up behind the scenes during the campaign. Okay. It's called, I think it's called Implicit Kisses. And so it's about... Like, the campaign is over, and you go back and you talk about, like, who was making out while we weren't looking? And, like, <laughs> are they happy? And there's there's always romance there, even if we didn't see it on screen. And people get to vote on, you know, their favorite couples and stuff. And oh, no. There's some, yeah, and there's some little consent tools in there, too, about, like, if people nominate your character to be kissed, you can say no, and we should always consider that. Um, Yay! And, again, yeah, hopefully just ways to ease people into that and help them realize, like, this can be hard to bring up, but here's a place 
where you are. Yeah. It's totally okay to say no. That's excellent. I think that covers it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, And there's, there's an extra mini zine that I'm just working on. That's kind of a stretch goal that got unlocked. That's all about slime fighters. (laughs) I'm like, I'm obsessed with like slimes and oozes and fungi Mm -hmm. and all those weird D and D monsters. You're not Uh, the only one I know. So (laughs) yeah, it seems like they're very interesting. I, I don't know. They are, and I don't want to project, but I think there's a lot of joy in like having a very changeable body, yeah, or a body that can also maybe just be yeah. transparent. And uh, so this is about different, different. There's one for each kind of wizard, cleric, thief, fighter, like different ways Ooh. to be a slime. Oh, yay! S- yeah, so oh, I'm glad that got unlocked. My- <laughs> Me too. I mean, I would have made it regardless. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, but yeah. this is my excuse. Good. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I was I was just scrolling through the the list. So if heroes want to take a deeper look at to what uh, what these um, individual zines are, you you explain them on the Kickstarter. And so a question that that may get posed then is Aaron, why eleven different small zines and not just a book? Ah, uh, I love and hate role playing game books. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think visually they're so imposing mm-hmm. and it's very hard for me to ask someone to look at one. And I think the format lends a certain weight to them, like canonizes their contents. Like this is the way here is a, a Bible. Here is a strange, yeah. bad Bible and you must <laughs> conform to the rules. And so I like the idea of these zines and I would hope that since people are getting digital copies too, they can print them off. And I have run mm. a lot of these scenarios many times and I print one off every time and I write notes in it and I write the characters' names and I try to remember how they reacted to certain things. And then when I'm done with that, I have a record of Ooh. that that playthrough. Yeah. Um, and so I think by making these things feel not necessarily more disposable, but more changeable and more interactive you can use them. It invites that sense of impressing yourself upon them. Yeah. I I like I like the term interactive for it. And I'm I'm thinking back to it at all the games that I've run where I've had to print off lots of pages um, so that people so that we could have more than one person looking at the giant book. Um and it always feels like, oh, I'm I'm so sorry that I have to give you like this this awful facsimile of the book to look at um like i'm I'm doing my player a disservice or something whereas the zine it's like no this is this is just how it is and it's fine it's the same information like there's nothing wrong with giving a yeah it's already yeah a facsimile like it's already kind of a cheaply printed thing so do feel free to scribble in it and do feel free to scratch a piece out and say i'm not interested in that Mm -hmm. and then i just love i love like games like the quiet year where you have something left over at the ends. Um, yeah. Kind of a record of play. And I think these zines, hopefully, I mean, hopefully people feel free to print out versions and bootleg them and exclude pages and stuff and then keep them as records of what they did. Yeah, I like that a lot. My filing cabinet hates it, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it brings you joy, if it sparks joy, you can keep it. Exactly. Yeah. So I do. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like you you don't have to be quite as precious as a thing too with these. Like it's 
Not that folks shouldn't buy the physical copies of these zines. I mean, there. I mean, it, it makes no difference mm-hmm. to me. I mean, it makes some difference with just my workflow, but it makes no moral yeah. <laughs> or feelings, no emotional difference to me. So do what you want. Cool. I don't know. Print yeah. them off, rip them up. <laughs> I think the other, the other thing too is just like a pure user experience mm-hmm. of navigating the content. Mm-hmm. Like those books are so big. And when you have to cross-reference something, there are so many pages to turn through, and a lot of times it's so packed with text. I try really hard to keep relevant info like on a two-page spread, so there's not a lot of flipping oh. back and forth, which is something... There's a RPG writer and zinester named Patrick Stewart, like not the Star Trek guy, <laughs> but pretty much the Star Trek guy. Uh, Amazing. Who does... Yeah, uh, but he is so disciplined about keeping stuff on these relevant spreads and we'll do something like have a a large map and then reproduce the relevant sections throughout the book so that you don't have to flip back to the large map Mm. and it's just it's so thoughtful like it seems so humane (laughs) to people who are trying to run these games to just say like i'm gonna make i'm gonna try my best to make this easy for you i really appreciate that i mean hopefully i i don't know that Mm -hmm. i am a blazing success or anything but even still though it's it's a lot easier to flip through a small zine than like like i have so many game books that i want to read like i want to read about the the lore and the fluff of this game or like just go over some rules sometime but like i i can't read them in bed i can't read them like casually i have to it's a whole ordeal just to get the book out and like prop it up somewhere where i can read it and not have it fall on me and like so and if you want to take it on the bus it's so heavy and you open it up and it takes up so much space Mm -hmm. yeah there's no way i'm reading that on the train like people will kick me off so yeah there's a very good argument here thanks i mm-hmm. well and like that's original D was a little box full of zines oh yeah and you I, mentioned that yeah and so that's it has wild. moved away from that yeah i think i mean so gary gygax was from wisconsin mm-hmm. and dave arneson's from minneapolis and so there is like i have this kind of weird not pride but like role-playing games i think of as like a midwestern american yeah folk folk art (laughs) i don't know it's something that like when originally envisioned that way seems so much more approachable Mm -hmm. so that's just really important to me to yeah i can see not out of any kind of traditionalism but i don't know no yeah i I can see that was was it only that first edition that they were like that there were a few box sets it's so hard to keep track of all the editions yeah right the (laughs) do you know there's a blog called playing at the world i think the author's name is john peterson and he goes through every edition and he tracks rules changes and he has all the old issues of alarms and excursions which was this Mm -hmm. apa thing where all these people would be sending individual pages to a central mailer and that person would assemble all the pages into the zine and then mail the zine back out and so he has all of them and he's tracking the rules changes and saying like this rule appeared in first edition but we can track and the text is almost exactly the same as this issue of alarms and excursions and so i'm terrible at keeping track of that um i know eventually they moved to the hardcover books yeah um, but they also had different kinds of basic sets and box sets and they got slowly bigger as well so i don't know 
Yeah, that's fascinating. It strikes me like I, I definitely have no idea why they would make the decisions that they made. But but yeah, maybe it's it's a move towards feeling or or looking more legitimate is, is all I, I think, can think of. Yeah. yeah. Bookstore distribution. There were so many bookstores in the 70s and 80s, like B. Dalton's and Walden Books. Mm. And I think also trying to distance themselves from the originators. Like I know one of the editions of D&D, they re-released it to get rid of all of Dave Arneson's contributions because they didn't want to work with him or pay him anymore. And then, and then they eventually like pushed out Gary Gygax Mm -hmm. in a really creepy like boardroom way that is covered really well by that block playing at the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it is a movement away from this kind of personal session and personal way of doing things like all those old zines are so idiosyncratic Mm -hmm. and have such a strong authorial voice and i think if you want to own something as a company you have to move away from that individual voice yeah to show that it's not this person's it's ours as a company and so maybe i this is spitballing and conspiracy Mm -hmm. theorying at this point but (laughs) no maybe it's an effort to get away from that yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Like if if there is more of a push now to like get back to that, to get back to individual voices and cuz even in the indie scene, I feel like there's a format for books and for games that everyone yes. just sort of adheres to for no concrete reason other than it's there. Yeah, and their talk with Jason Morningstar, he was saying like Fiasco is that shape because that's the shape all the books were when I was putting it out. Exactly. Yeah, and it can be hard to work against that. I see a lot of stuff made for D&D for the DMs Guild where they use the same kind of fake paper background and the same headings and information hierarchy. And on the one hand, that's great that people have felt empowered by these tools that let them copy those layouts. Mm-hmm. And I would never want to stop them. I'm not trying to say they shouldn't be doing that. Right. But it the format doesn't necessarily fit the... The form doesn't follow the format. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, like, like it definitely, if there's a, if it's conveying information in a, in a, the most useful way, like if that's, if it's always going to be this info, so we're just going to format it this way, then yeah, 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 do that. Cause there's, there is benefit to repetition and to uniformity in that way. But like, yeah, like not everything has to be that way or not everything benefits from being that way. Right. If you want to get to the same place that everyone else is going, like the train is an excellent way to do that. And I love trains mm-hmm. when I have to go somewhere that other people are going frequently. But when yeah. you want to go somewhere else, the train is a really bad way to get there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got to go off those tracks sometimes. I like that a lot. It's not mine. I stole it from somewhere, but I don't remember where. That's fine. I read Someone it Someone will add sure. us. <laughs> yes, please correct me on Twitter. <laughs> My favorite game. Yes. Is there anything else that we should know about your zine in particular? No, nothing about my zine, but I'm a stretch goal on Laser Kittens. Yes. The More Kittens expansion. Excellent. So they're running up on being almost... They might actually be done by the time this comes out. I don't remember. I don't But if it's not, either. I'm the very final stretch goal. So go back that if you want to play. It's I, My hack of it is, like, if Hogwarts was a culinary school run by Gordon Ramsay, and you are being taught to fight the Kool-Aid Man and Count Chocula. Okay. It's like a food-based school of wizarding. Or if you want to, like, curse Willy Wonka. Good. What are the player characters in this scenario? They are students at the school. Okay. Um, Like, like, human. So they're learning. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're learning to, in this world, food is the main vehicle for magic. And oh. So they're learning to master their cooking skills in order to harness their magic. And all the other weird NPCs are inspired by like food advertising from the 70s through today and popular food and cooking shows, which is another weird obsession of mine, like the canon McDonald's set of deities, the pantheon of McDonald's, mm -hmm. whatever you would call it. Oh, my God. I've just always thought those were the weirdest things. Yeah. And I wanted to make a game about them. Good. I've never heard them <laughs> referred to as a pantheon now, and that is going to delight me for the rest of the week. Absolutely. It's a terrible word. I think Guy Fieri is also in it. Um, <gasps> Good. As the mayor of Flavortown. Of course. So, yeah. Uh, I think that's it, though. <laughs> All right. Well, then heroes know that I need everything and anything related to Flavortown to happen and be a reality. So we will definitely plug that again, because I, I, I think the Kickstarter is still going when this comes out. Cool. Um, oh, my gosh. Yes. More kittens. More Guy Fieri, more fast food pantheons. <laughs> Where can heroes find you and your work and your zines and all of this good stuff on the internet? I am on Twitter at Aaron MF King, A-A-R-O-N. Um, I'm working with a distributor of zines to hopefully carry them once the Kickstarter is done. So more news on that. Cool. Otherwise, I've just started moving all my other stuff onto itch.io with everyone else who's also doing that yeah um, that's an ongoing process who knows i'm excited to see what happens but i mostly will post those updates via twitter if i do anything with it all right well we'll have all of those links and the kickstarter in the show notes like we usually do so thank you for doing this thank you so much huge thanks again to aaron for being on and sharing this cool world with me Check out the links in the show notes, and if you've got an RPG zine of your own, tweet it at the show at Modifier Podcast so we can see it and share it out, too. That's all for this week, heroes. Follow Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast, or send us questions, comments, and suggestions through email at ModifierPodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is part of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts, including shows like this one. The Broadswords is an all-women D&D podcast focused on drama, roleplay, and subverting stereotypes. Join the Broads as they unravel the mysteries of Snowy Reshaman, a land ruled by witches and steeped in superstition. Berserkers reign and spirits roam the frozen wastes. Yalaris, Kayla, and Mapri all have their own reasons for journeying north, but they soon find they have something in common. They are pawns of a divine plot. To find out more about this and other shows on the network, visit OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>